I do think we are seeing more women choose production ag, choose row crop production ag as a career. And I think there are a lot of things that are making that happen. Part of it is the labor requirement has changed. Technology has made this job as a farmer not quite the backbreaking labor maybe that it once was. And I think that's made a difference for a lot of women. Welcome to In the Driver's Seat, a podcast on managing financial risk in your grain operation, brought to you by ABM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of In the Driver's Seat. Back with me today in the house is Shelby Schweitzer and Emily Lacina. We're excited to be back with you today and have a new podcast topic. Today, we're going to talk about women in agriculture. So let me start off by saying this. We have... A special guest today, we'll introduce her in just a few minutes. Super interested to hear what she has to say. Some of you might know our guest. Her name is Holly Spangler. She is the editor of Prairie Farmer and the executive editor of Farm Progress. So Holly has covered ag for a long time, about two decades, began her career with Prairie Farmer before graduating from the University of Illinois in ag communications Award-winning editor. I was just reading some of the stuff about Holly's accomplishments online. It's very impressive, and so uh, we're glad to have her as a guest today. She brings meaningful production agriculture experience to the topics that she covers, including a variety of production management and issue-oriented stories. She recently wrote a series of stories about women in agriculture, including Women Farm Their Own Way and Female and Farming. So we can't wait to get to Holly and hear from her. She lives with her husband in Western Illinois. They raise corn, soybeans, cattle on 2,000 acres. Their operation includes 100 head of commercial cows in a cow-calf operation. So it's nice to have somebody who has their roots and is involved in farming. So as I mentioned, Shelby and Emily are back with me today. We are in the heart of the growing season. Big shocker. It's dry some places, it's wet some places, and everybody's trying to figure out what the size of this crop is going to be. But Shelby, you're in central Illinois. What's going on in your world? What do you see around your parts? So definitely was knee high by the 4th of July. I would say, you know, it's been rainy here. It's been super wet. Good for the crops. So they're tasseling already. Some fields are. Things are going really well, though. And I have to tell you, I love how late it stays light out. When the sky is still lit up by nine-ish, that's a good day. I know you had some enormous rains, but I think the crop tolerated it as good as it could have. And on the flip side, we have Emily in Iowa, where it's a lot of things, but wet isn't one of them. Right, Emily? Right. Yep. Unfortunately, we've missed out on the good stuff and it seems like we're getting a little bit of rain at this point. But the name of the game now is just, is it enough to get that crop filled out? So towards this part of the growing season, we start using up a lot more water and I really don't know if we've got enough over in eastern Iowa to make that crop come out the way we want it to be. And in the meantime, the markets go up a lot and down a lot on an everyday basis. So it's been a little bit chaotic from a market perspective. I'll remind listeners, though, we'll probably look back on this and say, boy, I wish I would have sold more. Boy, that was a good market opportunity. Don't miss it. I know how super hard it is to make a decision, but try to put yourself in a spot where you can look back and say, that was great. I I really want 
that kind of volatility and those kind of prices come back because I executed so well. So just encourage you to do that. But with that, we should get on with the show. Uh, Shelby, can you help set up where we're going with this podcast? Yeah, of course. You mentioned it earlier, but we have perhaps a bit more educational, loose agenda. We're going to talk to Holly and just get to know her a little bit and pick her brain a little bit. As the title of this podcast is Women in Ag, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. According to Emily Moon in her 2019 article, Agriculture Census Data shows the U.S. has more female farmers than ever. She says that over the past five years, the number of male farmers has decreased, while, of course, the number of women here have increased. And so that number equates to about 36% of women farmers which was actually a 12% increase from 2012. So to celebrate this topic, let's introduce you, Holly Spangler. Welcome. We're so, so excited to have you. Tell us a little bit more about yourself on the stuff that we didn't mention. <laughs> you guys covered a lot, so I appreciate being part of this. But yeah, we are just over here in Western Illinois farming and, and raising our family. And I work here from home for prairie farmer. Been here for a long time, 23-ish years. Seeing very similar things, you know, to what you're, you're sharing in those women in ag numbers. I think we've seen some changes in different segments of agriculture over time. We've certainly seen more small farmers who are women. Part of what drove us to do the story that we did in June was just seeing more women show up in row crop operations. They said, this is the career I want to have. And not because they didn't have any other options, because this is what they chose. And they decided to come back and do that. That's awesome. And so we actually just worked with you too on another story here recently about mental health and how to just be a good human. And so we love working with you. You live and breathe all things ag. So from your perspective, who has influenced and inspired you and your family's operation? That's a good question. Any of us who are farmers, the biggest influence in our lives is often families that we farm with, right? For better, for worse, whatever <laughs> it might be, you know, they help determine some of that path and why we do some of the things the way we do. So, you know, I grew up on a farm in Southern Illinois. My parents raised corn, soybeans, and beef cattle, and I met this guy in college. And, you know, now here we are in Western Illinois raising corn, soybeans, and beef cattle. So two to very different parts of the state, but a lot of similarities in what we're doing. And kids, right? You got three of them at home? And kids, yes. We officially have three teenagers in this house. I am so glad that's you and not me. Did it once, not doing it again. <laughs> I tell you what, I really enjoy our teenagers. They're a lot of fun. The conversations are hilarious. It's a lot of fun to just see them becoming who they are, <laughs> who they're meant to be. Our oldest is heading off to college here and six weeks or so. And it's just been a lot of fun. I'm sure with teenagers comes community events. And I'm sure you're very active in all sorts of ag-related community functions. So speaking of that, it seems like with female producers, we're very involved in community and family. And you've written about them over the years. But what are some other female producers that have had these big contributions that have really stuck with you? Yeah, no, my first thought on that is we're exhausted. You know, I mean, there's a lot of activities and teenagers are into a lot of things and we show cattle and participate in FFA and 4-H and church and all the other things around that you can find in a rural community. But 
When I think of different women that I've covered over the years, different women that I've met over the years. This woman in Northern Illinois, her name is Linnea Kustra. She's a dairy farmer. She's well known for her advocacy efforts on behalf of agriculture. I got to know her years ago. She was the first female master farmer that we ever named and just an incredible heart and soul for people <laughs> just in general and especially for women in agriculture. Any day that Linnea calls me up just to chat is a good one. And um, if I happen to be in her neighborhood and get to sit down and talk for a while, you know, it's just people like that you realize are investing so much in their communities and in the people around them. I think when our young people have all these dreams, right? When you're young, you want to go change the world and do all these things. And those are good dreams to have. But I think you do that just one person at a time, investing in the people around you and, and in the people that are in your path. Both sets of my grandparents farmed, and I think my grandma ran the farm, and grandpa did what grandma said is what I think. But she was never recognized as the decision maker or the leader on the farm. So part of this is just women are starting to be recognized as decision makers and leaders on the farm. Do you think that's true? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I actually wrote that in the column that went <laughs> with that story, you know, just that idea of my mother and my mother-in-law proudly claimed that title of farm wife. And I have such fondness for that, <laughs> for that name that really, let's talk about what they were doing. You know, they were running tractors and keeping books and drying grain and helping make financial decisions and doing all that stuff, you know, getting cows in and important work, but they were just known as a farm wife and they didn't see it as just, you know, they didn't use that word. I think that's something we apply these days, what we're seeing now are young women sort of claiming the title for what they do. You know, I'm a farmer, <laughs> is what they would say. They're doing the same work, really. So you're going to have Friday night lights and then harvest comes. So what is harvest season like in your house? Is it one of the best times of the year? Is it a stressful time of year? Is it the funnest time of the year? You know, what does it look like when harvest rolls around for you and your family? Yeah, I mean, harvest for us is... It's a lot of work, right? It's the best time of the year for probably the first six weeks, right? Maybe the first month. And then after that, everybody gets a little tired. <laughs> and some of the newness, the meals in the field and all that kind of stuff wears off a little bit. And it's a little more of a grind to just get it done. It's generally, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a good chance to get people together where we can. I've always been a big fan of trying to get some sort of separate of the field and get everybody to stop as much as we can. Sometimes they will at the same time and sometimes they won't. That harvest crew looks a little different than it used to. You know, my son, he's 16. He just assumed being a tractor is as anywhere. He can get off of school and, and come home and, you know, run the auger wagon or, you know, do anything like that. He's fast to do that. That's cool. The other part of my question was, the production that you raise and the effort that goes into it is is immense. I know that. And then comes the time where you need to sell it. You need to market your grain. So I'm curious, are you involved with the grain marketing? How do you and your family approach the selling of your hard work? I think you have to figure out what your strengths are, right? And capitalize on it. And my strength is not that. <laughs> you know, I have joked for a long time, I'm a writer, not an accountant. My husband did not marry a farm accountant. He makes all of those decisions on our operation. He's learned a ton over the years, you know, even went back to school after he was out of college just to try and learn a little more about some of the risk management tools around selling grain, you know, puts and calls and options and all that kind of stuff. His family, his parents ran a grain merchandising business for years. His mom was a grain merchandiser, you know, and she still sells a lot of her crop too. 
So good points, Holly. When it comes to gray marketing, and you mentioned accounting, there's just a lot to keep track of. So one thing we want to make sure people know is that we're working on technology to help make that easier. Grainbridge is a great example where we're moving to that technology and that platform right now as an improvement to what we've offered in the past. So if you're looking for a way to keep track of prices, if you're looking for a way to keep track of all of the different transactions that you have going on, we really encourage you to pay some attention to Grainbridge. It's the choice we made that I think you'll get a lot of benefit out of. So we're going to go ahead and switch gears here a little bit. And so, Holly, you being a longtime ag writer and ag editor, you cover a lot of the industry news on a daily basis. So clearly you have a passion for it. We can feel it and it's quite obvious. So in particular, what stories do you enjoy covering the most? I love the people of agriculture. And I think anytime we can tell a story about a person and their experience and then relate that to the topic at hand, it makes whatever that topic is a lot more palatable and a lot more interesting to our readers. I use the example a lot, you know, if you're doing an economic story, generally not super exciting, right? Like it can't be kind of dry or to talk about farmland trends or whatever it would be. But can you start that story off, you know, with a farmer sharing their experience about why they bought a particular piece of ground when they did at the price that they did and how they made that decision and how they felt about it and what the room was like that day and put people in their shoes. That's what makes that story more interesting than you get to the, the nuts and bolts of the whole thing and the meat of it. I like any story that involves a chance to tell a farmer's story. I love what you just said right there. So basically pulling yourself out of the situation a little bit and some things are super intimidating, right? But it's taking a step back, it's maybe using someone else or using a different example and maybe personalizing it a little bit just to make it more digestible. I really like what you just said. It's just people like to read about people. You can read facts and economics anywhere, right? But I hope what we can deliver to our readers is a little different. It's a little more of an experience about what their fellow farmers going through and what they think about a topic. So, Holly, the USDA and other organizations have reported an increase in number of female producers, which we've talked about already, in the last five to ten years. So, what do you attribute this growth to, and what do you think is attracting more women to ag? And you can't say that it's the U of I because you and Shelby went there. (laughs) I mean, I want to, but okay. I think anytime you look at surveys like that, you have to look at how the data is collected. There are certainly more women farming than what we've seen in the past. I think it's really hard to quantify, though. You know, and we shared that in that story. The USDA says the number of female producers increased by 27%, right, between 2012 and 2017. And that's, you know, 1.2 million female farmers working 388 million acres and racking up almost $150 billion in sales. That's a lot. But I think we have to remember USDA revised its census questions for 2017 to kind of better capture that demographic, which kudos to them for doing that. And we're trying to get women who have maybe called themselves farm wives, but not farmers in the past to admit, yes, you are in fact a farmer. (laughs) So I think the data better reflects the number of women involved in agriculture and production agriculture. I don't know if we have a real sense of how much more, you know what I'm saying? How much that number's increased truly in the countryside. 
Definitely, Holly. I too have kind of noticed more females are taking on those roles for a couple of years. Like I read in uh, a few of your articles, they're going outside the farm for a couple of years, learning those valuable skills in the ag industry and then coming home and applying them. So it could depend on when you collect the census information, but either way, they're now valuable assets on the farm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I love that story of Lydia Holsty. I think it was her parents that told her and her sister like, okay, you can come back and farm, but you need to go get a skill and bring it back. (laughs) Yeah, I love that story because she still continues to fix things and uh, provide help whether or not they need a service call or not. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she went and got a degree from U of I and then went off to work for Case in their precision ag area. And her job, I think at that point, was doing a lot of troubleshooting, trying to get GPS receivers to work or whatever. That's her job on the farm now. <laughs> you know, she can chime in and, and get him to try something and, and save him a service call. So that's pretty cool to see too. Yes. And I have a very high respect for that job because that was my first job out of college as well. And it changes so much. And there are so many different pieces that you have to troubleshoot. So anyone who can successfully keep up with that once you're out of that job every day is very impressive. For sure. For sure. I do think we are seeing more women choose production ag, choose row crop production ag as a career. And I think there are a lot of things that are making that happen. Part of it is the labor requirement has changed. Technology has made that a little easier. We're not throwing bags of seed into 24 different row units like we were. It's a bulk fill system for many operations. That makes it a little easier. You know, there's just a lot of technology that's changed that's made this job as a farmer not quite the backbreaking labor maybe that it once was. And I think that's made a difference for a lot of women. What you're talking about is certainly noticed on our end too. When we go to all of these different schools and universities like Iowa State, Emily. It's not just University of Illinois. So I think it's an even uh, match here between Iowa State and University of Illinois. But I don't know that the female numbers exceed the male numbers, but there are a lot of young women who are determined to pursue a career in ag, much different from 10 or 15 years ago. So yeah, we see it on this end too. Even when I went to college and graduated and same for Emily, as the years went on, I noticed a lot more girls, women going to ag business classes and stuff like that, which was awesome. And I feel like there's this really awesome ag community that's been built too that maybe wasn't there in the past. And so it's people like you, Holly, that help fuel that. And I think it's awesome. I can feel it. Well, I hope so. I think we've seen a total change, too, in the generation who are working in those agribusiness jobs, right? The people that farmers interact with, that's a completely different generation than it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. One of the women that I talked to for this story, we actually had her on the cover back in 2004, just talking about her experiences as a woman who who farmed, who raised crops, you know, then interviewed her for this story here in 2021. And she talked about how generations just changed. You know, the person that's sitting behind the parts counter at the equipment dealership is a different generation and technology has changed. She can go look on the internet at home at John Deere Parts catalog online, figure out what part it is that she needs, know the number, call them up, ask if they have it. And there's not this back and forth of, well, are you sure that's the right part? Or why can't let you look at the screen because, you know, it's top secret. That's all changed in the last 20 and 30 years. And some of that's a change in generation and some of it's a change in gender. Ties into what I was going to ask you next. 
outside of technology, which I think you're 100% right. I mean, technology has kind of literally changed everything. We always think of technology being maybe software, but seed technology and genetic technology, I mean, technology has just changed ag. So outside of technology, now 20 years is a long time, and I remember saying it, but now I'm over 30, and 20 years seems like you're just a baby. You're just getting started. But in your 20 years or so, can you think of any of the bigger changes that you've noticed in ag outside of technology? I think we've just seen a change in how farmers and how agriculture and how people perceive the information that they're supplied. You know, I hear farmers say this, like they don't care where the information comes from, whether it comes from a man or a woman, they just care that you know what you're talking about. So if you're a woman in ag, know what you're talking about, (laughs) you know, know your field, know your seed, know your chemistry, know whatever it is that you're working in. And I think it's pretty easy to become respected. I think farmers in general respect people who know what they're talking about and who can provide them with the information and the value they need. That's something that's changed over time. You didn't have to be a person who had been in a job for a long time or whatever, you know, decades before a farmer would respect you. Like, that's changed. I think one thing I would mention, too, is it's great. Full stop, great. I've seen countless examples of what you're talking about. But what's even better is having the right mix of young men and young women. It's not all young men. It's not all young women. But it's the mix. And everybody gets better when you have that kind of a thing going on. And whoever knows the most, whoever works the hardest, whoever does the best job, that's who's going to get the next big job. It's changed from the way it used to be. So it's fun for me to see that as well. Okay, so as we go to wrap up here, this podcast is for producers. Holly, do you have any last words of wisdom to share with our listeners who are focused right now on crop production as we start to walk into harvest here in only a few short months? You know, what comes to mind is just that idea, like we struggle all season long, too much rain, not enough rain, too much drought, too cold, too wet, too hot, too dry, whatever it is. But I think we consider the amount of stress that goes into producing this crop. I think the important thing to remember is it's going to be okay. You know, one way or the other, it's going to be okay. And we've talked about that in all the mental health stories we've written. It's just that idea, no matter what happens, like you as a farmer are more than your farm. You're a person who has value and and who's loved in your household, in your community, whatever it is, and you're more than that crop that you're producing. Thanks for being on this podcast, but thanks for being an amazing advocate for agriculture, an amazing ag professional with an incredibly impressive resume. I'm sure you hate getting showered with these compliments as much as I probably would, but it is true. So you're a treasured ag professional who happens to be a woman, and we appreciate that very much as well. So it was great for me to meet you. I hope this isn't the last time we cross paths I also want to thank you for promoting the piece on uh, mental health that you recently did in your publication. It was genuine and heartfelt from our end on being a good human. So from ADM to you, thank you very much for helping us get the word out even more. Well, Doug, I appreciate that. That's awfully nice and probably the highest compliment I can get. So I appreciate that and appreciate working with your team on that story. They're, They're doing good stuff and I hope it pays off. 
Holly, I echo Doug's sentiment. It's so great for our listeners to hear your voice and perspective. And I know there's still probably many, many great things to come from you and all females in ag as we keep evolving. Well, thank you, Emily. I appreciate that. It's good to hear. And it was fun to to spend some time with you guys and, and to just talk a little bit today. Thanks, everybody. All of the listeners out there, thank you for joining today. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. As always, we welcome your questions. We welcome your comments. We want to make sure this is entertaining and productive and encourage you to listen more. So to Doug's point, please give us feedback. Let us know what you think. And for more details about this episode and any other upcoming episodes, please go to admadvantage.com. Thank you all and stay safe. This has been In the Driver's Seat, brought to you by ABM. To learn more about managing financial risk in your grain operation, talk to your local ABM representative or go to admadvantage.com.